Alright, cool. This is episode number... I don't know what number this is. Episode number... 118. Cool. I've got the recording going, so when you're about to start, let me know and I'll turn it. Oh yeah, I'll turn mine on as well. I'm really quick. Let's forget about that. Right, I don't have a control written, so it's just going to be... Hello and welcome to another episode of the Player 2 Pixelcast. This is episode 118. I'm your host for this episode. My name is Ken. And joining me today are Huzo, Matthew Huzen. How are we all? It's been a and while. Steve. Yeah, it has been a while. Mm, <laughs> slacking, off, slacking off and tr- you know, traipsing around the world. Oh, you've got to do it, mate. You know, things I've got to do. Yeah, and we've also got Stephen Del Prado joining us as the third chair. Howdy, howdy. Lovely to be here. Also, somebody that we haven't heard from from, from a while. Uh, I was on with an episode uh, with Tim on an episode the other week. But it was, I think it was just the two of us. Oh, yeah. it's We we occasionally have to do the more intimate shows, um, <laughs> which, are, which are also good, but it's, it's still good. It's always good to get more than two, maybe three. Hopefully we will hit fours and fives in the future episodes. But it, I was saying in the intro, Huzo has been traipsing around the world, and that's inspired today's topic. We're going to be talking about holidays. We're going to talk about traveling around the world. We're going to talk about games that make us feel like we're on holidays, games that we bring with us on holidays, the hardware, especially the recent ones that make it possible, and when worlds clash between what's on the virtual playground and what's in real life. But we will come to that later. First, we'll be talking about games that we've been playing. Huzo, you've been doing Witchfire. I don't know what that is. Witchfire. Okay, so it's just hit early access. Um, Witchfire is a game from the developers of Painkiller. You might remember that was an old school, like, super fast-paced first-person shooter that had kind of this cult following going on. And also The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which is kind of almost the opposite of what Painkiller was. And and uh, so so Witchfire is this new... Um, it, it's kind of a roguelike bits of souls, but also, you know, nice occult themes and everything like that. It's, it's really quite interesting. I've had my eye on it. They announced it at a... Um, I think it was a Sony show or Jeff Keighley show or something uh, last year. And it's, so it's just hit early access. And how it plays out, you're essentially uh, the, the Pope's monster hunter. Um, that's the role you play. You, you head out to kill the witches, you know. Um, and uh, you've got a whole bunch of, you know, wacky weapons and cool abilities that you gradually unlock in that cool roguelike sort of loop. Um, and how it works is there's a whole bunch of maps. Only two of them are available in early access. There's a bunch of maps and you could choose to jump into a map and each map has a major boss. But the idea is not to tackle that boss straight away because you get your ass whooped. The idea is to, you know, build up. You can run in, grab uh, resources, which they call Witchfire, funnily enough, uh, get back out again. So you've got to New title screen. (laughs) Cue title screen, yeah. So the whole idea is to extract out without losing your Witchfire, Um, initially at least anyway. So if you die, you lose your Witchfire, uh, you get one chance to get it back on your next run. Um, So, you know, a bit of the Dark Souls kind of campfire mechanics being thrown into the mix. Uh, and it works really well, actually. Um, the, the catch is that you never know where on the map 
you're going to start. So, you know, you could, you could die and then have to run all the way across the map to get to your, to your health again. You just don't know. There's like six or seven different portal points where you can jump in. And now you can do quick runs. So you can jump in, uh, kill a bunch of enemies and run out to the portal you came in on. Uh, but then that'll eventually close. And so you've got to actually hunt down another portal and open it up. And that involves, you know, killing a bunch of enemies and with cool kind of steampunk, you know, Victorian-esque weapons with, with magical powers that gradually unlock the more you use them and, and uh, you know, different dash upgrades. And and as you play, there's a real flow to the combat. Um, as you take kills without taking damage, you uh, get more stamina, which allows you to dash about more. And, and so you become this kind of death-dealing thing and eventually you unlock power-ups like, uh, you know, I've got one now that automatically strikes anyone with low health with lightning, uh, which is awesome because then they can't sneak up on you. So you can do some, like, area damage and, and the lightning will take them out. Or I've got a dash move that leaves a bomb behind. So when an enemy gets close, I can dash out and it leaves a bomb behind for him. You know, things like that. Um, it's it's a really addictive loop. It's a little bit slow to start with, I thought. It, it took a little, little while to get enough uh, of an upgrade um, to feel like a, a proper badass in there. It was very, like the first few runs was very rough. It was very tough. And then, uh, but once I started unlocking a few things, it, it's it's really quite got its hooks in me. I think there's balancing issues and the like, which is, you know, not abnormal in an early access game. They're going to get all this, um, you know, excellent play data. I think there are some instances where... Um, the enemies are, are supremely overpowered. There's a grenadier that has a one-shot kill on you, which seems excessive at times. Um, it does telegraph it rather well, but you know, it, when you've got 16 or 17 enemies around you, it's very easy to miss that. Um, so I'm assuming they'll do that sort of balancing as we go. But as as it is, it's very competent FPS mechanics. Um, an addictive gameplay loop, like I said, a little bit slow to get into, but once again, that's a balancing thing that I think they'll work on. Uh, I haven't had a glitch yet, uh, anything major. There's a few times you've been stuck. I've been stuck in the environment, but there is an unstuck button. <laughs> so they obviously know it's early access. So they've included a, a little um, button in there to just, you know, if you get stuck on a tree or something, you can just press that and get out. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really quite enjoyable I'm, I'm i'm having fun with it it's it's just a simple thing that you can pick up for 20 minutes half an hour and have a run and um you know jump out again it, everyone knows how to play an fps and there's there's a nice sense of accomplishment and as you get stronger the enemies and get more varied and and, and stronger themselves so it's each run while it's the same map is is different the enemies are in different locations there's you know chests around with with more ammo or uh, more witch fire or you know some bonuses or some health or things like that um, and then as you each area there's there's a map that you look at when you um, jump in and it tells you where all the monsters are and as you clear out each area you get an upgrade which is the temporary upgrades from a roguelike that only last for that run um, so you know you might get uh, your bullets turned put people on fire or you might get extra health or you might get uh you know if your your health's low you do more damage you know those sort of upgrades that you see in roguelikes everywhere you know things like dead cells and, and hades and i've all got that sort of thing so yeah um, it, i was just gonna yeah. ask like with this roguelike are your upgrades permanent or do you ha do you start each run completely so 
you, there's two. There's so each uh, you any witch fire you can extract into your home base, you use to upgrade your uh, basic skill sets, um, and you can use you know to upgrade your health, your your stamina, luck, all those sort of standard skill sets. That's what you use to upgrade with the witch fire. You can also upgrade your weapons uh, and research new weapons, uh, new weapons, new abilities, new in-game bonuses um and and they take a certain amount of kills for each reset project to to complete so for example you you want a new weapon it takes 40 kills to research that new weapon that that's the the mechanics of it but the in-game run there are extra upgrades which are special abilities that you pick up for clearing out areas so they reset every run and if you die like i said without um, getting back to the portal, you lose that witch fire. So you've got to kind of get back in and try and get that witch fire back um, before you die again. Otherwise, you lose it permanently. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a tendency for some, I guess, some roguelike games is um, they either start you from scratch each and every time of your run or, you know, I think Dead Cells is a good example of a roguelike where you do get... Um, some more permanent upgrades so that and I think Hades does yes Hades does that as well it's very similar it's in structure to Hades and Dead Cells just a mm. first person shooter essentially so um, it's just got that little kind of Dark Souls uh, mechanic of the, the bushfire where you, you know if you die in Dark Souls you can get back to your body and, and, and claim everything you've lost back and you can do that here in Witchfire each run um, so it gives you that incentive to kind of jump back in and I, I did it I, just before I jumped on. I lost like 20,000 uh, Witchfire, whatever they're called. And like that's like three level upgrades. I was pushing it way too hard. I shouldn't have, but I did. So I jumped back in and then had to sprint across the map and I just ignored all the enemies until I got, <laughs> got that and then got the hell out of dodge. So I didn't lose them again. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice, it's got a nice sense of accomplishment. You feel like you're progressing every run, which I think is essential to this sort of game. Um, too often these games don't give you that sense of accomplishment, that sense of progression. Even though you're playing the same map essentially over and over again, you feel like you're getting somewhere. So I think that's that's really important. And I, I think they've got a really solid base here to, to make something you know quite good and quite addictive, I think. It'll be interesting to see how the other maps pan out. Uh, I haven't got to the second map yet. I've got to clear out the final boss in the first map. Um and I, I've only tackled it twice. Uh, I got close the second time. Um, so I'm not too far from taking it down. And I'm about a level 20 character to do that. So, yeah, right. it, it's it's pretty promising. I, I, I'm quite um, keen on and watching this one as, as it plays out over early access. Yeah, it's well, sort of appealing to you as a person who hasn't always had the most fondness for the sort of Souls formula? I think because it's a first-person shooter... Um, that's you know my bread and butter. I've been playing those since I was a wee tacker, so it's it's a bit different than a, than that kind of slower, uh, methodical yeah. combat that that what Souls games offer up for me. Yeah, so, and, and you were a lot like warmer on Remnant, weren't you? I loved Remnant. I thought Remnant yeah. Remnant's so far one of my favourite games of the year. In a year of a whole bunch of exceptional games, Remnant's right up there for me. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, from a game that's currently in early access to a game that you could argue has been in early access for the last three years, <laughs> Cyberpunk 2.0. Um, Steven, you've been spending a bit of time with the latest, newest upgrade, update to the game. 
I have. Uh, yeah, so um, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Having never played Cyberpunk before, uh, it's pretty good. So <laughs> I guess there you have it. <laughs> I finished the game when it first came out, and I had a l- I had many issues with the game, and none of them were technical. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've spoken, like, briefly about that in, in episodes, like, from 2020 on, on, on the Pixelcast. Um, but it seems like a couple of those issues have been resolved, particularly around the skill tree and the mm-hmm. use of the skills. Um, so I'm interested to seeing what that's like, because this update apparently is a massive one, and it's free. But the DLC, the content, the Phantom Liberty content is is paid for. But the fundamental redesign, effectively, it feels like a, a complete overhaul of the skills. So, how far are you into the game? Uh, only a couple of hours. So, I think I've done like the first few missions. Um, still hanging with Jackie. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, sort of still at that point in the game. So, no spoilers, please. But no, no spoilers. Uh, yeah, like obviously, what they've done is Phantom Liberty seems to be its own sort of. A discrete bit of game. It, I don't think it meshes in with the base game. I think it's, you know, sort of existing separately as a piece of content. And obviously this 2.0 is a major overhaul. So it isn't just we finally ironed out all the technical issues. I think they have taken on a lot of feedback from that time and really tried to make the game much more balanced and probably enjoyable in that sense as well, not just addressing like, well, yeah, you know, there's a ton of bugs, but what are the other issues that people had? And I can understand it given that they probably needed to try to earn some goodwill back after the disastrous launch of that game, which was through no fault of the devs, of course. They're not the ones who have to make those decisions in terms of release schedule. Um, And obviously, it's understandable to a degree why they pushed for that launch. You're looking at the tail end of a generation with 110 plus million units on PS4 alone sold and the Xbox One X and that whole family of um, consoles, which was probably not even half the numbers of the PlayStation anyway. But still, you're looking at a huge install base, which is way too much for CEOs and other people to ignore when you're looking at the next gen consoles and you're like, cool, there's 15 million between them. Yeah. So, are we selling to uh, 200 million people almost, or 15 million people on console install base? Yeah, I- ideally that game should have been a PC release initially, and then worried about the consoles after it. I mean, if they were worried about money, I think that's probably would have been the best case scenario, because it was closest to being finished on PC. I played it at launch, and it was a lot of issues still, um, technical issues, like, but they were kind of glitchy sort of shit not broken game sort of shit you know yeah and i think pc is kind of counterbalanced by the fact that it's not impossible to get refunds for digital pc goods mm. unless you bang 90 minutes out and tell steam you want your money back yep uh but i think that the the pre-order numbers for that game must have been so ridiculously high that yeah there's no way they could say well actually you're all going to need to go out and buy a new console to play the game because it's not quite meeting our vision on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox uh, One X. And they have ditched the old versions for the Phantom Liberty. Yeah. Which they probably should have done in the first place, but 
Yeah. So I, 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 my, I guess my issue with the game, I had two main complaints about about the game back when I was playing it. One, and this is a common complaint about open world games, is that uh, there's a lot of window dressing, but the mm. city doesn't necessarily feel lived alive? in, no, alive, yeah. or real. And that is a challenge with, with, with Cyberpunk, I feel, because certain spaces feel much more developed than other spaces. Um, certain spaces, particularly, I think your home building feels a lot more like like lived in and people moving in and walking in and out. It feels more alive than large parts of that city of Night City, where really you only go maybe once or twice in your in your gameplay because it's it's a sprawling, it's a large large city. Yeah. Um, and there is it's near impossible to fill that city up with like content. Right, yeah. because at least very meaningful content. Meaningful content. So, you know, they they make a lot of. Um, I think the devs at that point, before the release, was making a lot of uh, uh, overtures around how alive the city feels, and you know, people are going about their their days, and everybody's got like their own cycles and routines and stories. And I didn't feel that particularly. Really? Isn't that the same spiel that every single open world yes. developer trots out yeah, when absolutely. they're about to launch a game? Like, and how absolutely. bad has it gotten that you know, like even Ubisoft, what they advertised that Valhalla was a smaller open world than previous Assassin's Creed yeah. games. Now, Mirage is it smaller again? It's yeah, Valhalla smaller. was not smaller in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Let me tell you, that thing was fucking huge. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> isn't it funny that the like it's pivoted around to the point where them telling you that. No, it's not just a, a vast landscape full of nothing worth doing. Yeah. Is- so, yeah. So, I, I found that problem particularly telling in Cyberpunk. Um, there were some areas that you really only go once or twice, and there's no other reason to go there beyond the main story quest. So, that's one. Um, I like a lot of the side quests. I loved the side quests a lot more than the main quest. Because that sounds so- like uh, in line with The Witcher 3, though. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just all the side characters other than your V, like Judy's story, Judy Judy's Alvarez's story, story is, is much more, is just way more interesting. Pan than, than Am's is good too. Yes, Pan Am's is very good. But the other thing that really bugged me about the original game, and I feel like they might have, this is why they've made this update free, is actually the skill tree system. I had a real major problem with the skill tree because I finished the game max level, but I probably spent around a third to a half of my skill points on actual skills. Yep. I actually didn't spend half of my skill points because I only spent it on like, oh, uh, the lock picking skill just maxed that out so that I can open boxes and... um. I upped my my range weapon skill just so I can shoot people very very well or yeah. the you know but so many skills had really obscure utility and, and minor boosts too and very it, minor was it, boosts was it like that RPG bullshit like three percent to yeah. something yes. that you don't care about that, that's which right is, it's like, why even bother like if you yeah. can't balance your game that well. 
just Absolutely. strip all of that shit out and give me give me like numbers I can actually care about. Like, ooh, yeah. ten to twenty percent is like as low as you should go. Yeah, that's that's not, kind I'm of. I'm not going to get out of bed for five percent. Come on. Yeah, it's a lot of it was like one point three percent crit chance. Or, yeah, yeah, like, like uh, it was just such such niggly niggly. All bullshit. it means is that you give absolutely no shits about your loadout. It's You're like, true, well, yeah. I. I don't care about any of this. Like, All it came down to was finding the biggest and best guns. That's yeah, that's yeah. essentially how you got through. Yeah, and I didn't bother with any of the security systems. I didn't. I didn't. I only bothered a little bit with the mind hack stuff, yeah. like because none of it really made any real difference. Like in terms of the gameplay, like okay, so I can hack the security gates, like the the boom gate of this security kiosk, but. W- I could just easily just walk through or jump over the fence. Like it, it, there's so many skills that were not necessary yeah. and each skill level was just like, Oh, 1.3%. Like it's just, so I spent, so that was my major, major hang up with the game. And that was not talked about because a, a lot during this game's initial launch, because people were, 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 were you know, obsessed with the t- broken with the obsessed with the broken nature of the game but then i feel like in the devs making actually the re- overhauling the whole skill tree and making that skill tree update free is them sort of acknowledging yeah actually i think this, this- cd project red have got a good history too of um long support on their games and giving quite a lot away for for free when you compare it to others, so it's not it's not a big surprise that CD Projekt Red have done this sort of thing. Um, they they definitely tend to be a company that that heads in that direction more often than not. They've, they've they done actually it for all the Witcher yeah. games, so yeah, and they actually give a lot of thought around it. It's like it's yeah. not just like oh here's a here's some free content. No, they actually yeah. like go back to the drawing board and rethink like yeah, okay yeah. we can do this better. And I think that's an issue the Witcher games suffered from as well. Anyway, yeah, like absolutely. there were. Loads of skills and armor and weapons in those games that you just scrapped because you're like, I don't care. Like, unless I feel the gameplay difference instantly, it makes no, no. difference to me. So I think and from it- reading the interviews, they really wanted, uh, with the new skill system, I think their goal was to give you that like power fantasy that you couldn't get in the base game because, you know, you're in cyberpunk, right? You want to be this kind of super cyber ninja mofo that, but you couldn't do that because the skill tree didn't allow you to. It was more worried about, you know, you might get a better chance to, you know, break into someone's brain. So, but that, but they reckon the new system is really focused on on kind of playing into that that power fantasy a lot more. So giving meaningful skills, giving you know um, abilities that make you feel like you're actually upgrading instead of just you know the slight number improvement. <clears throat> I think that's always a challenge anyway. You know, you even look at some of the Deus Ex games and they mm. had that to a little bit with some mm. of the Praxis kit upgrades you could get where you sort of like, I mean, you know, it comes down to play style as well. Like yeah. you're going to lean towards particular things and then if it becomes unclear what actually benefits that play style, then it's just a frustrating experience I think for you as well. Deus Ex does a lot better because it's a linear experience in essentially, whereas yeah. a big open world RPG, there's so much more to, I guess, take in. Whereas there yeah. are definite play styles to, you know, you've got a stealth, you've got a combat, you've got a, a kind of conversationalist, you know, so yeah. you yeah. can play down those routes. Whereas open worlds, it's a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. Well, Deus Ex is always quiet, 
till I have to go loud. Like, yep. Yep, <laughs> it's yep. the Metal Gear approach. And the Splendor Cell approach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's quiet till I fuck up. Yep, basically. Yep. <laughs> and then it gets real loud real quick. <laughs> oh, no. I guess my non-lethal playthrough is just rapidly switched to a lethal playthrough. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, on that note, moving again very swiftly from one open world game to an open universe game um i have been spending time with starfield which i think both of you have also been yeah i've spent a bit of time in it yeah i have five hours downloaded it um and i have it just hasn't drawn me towards it it's sitting there it's on my xbox i got game pass it's a hundred gigabytes plus but it's 120 gigs on pc yeah it's a bethesda game and i've played those before yeah it it's a bethesda game with it is very much a bethesda game but i just wanted to quickly before i guess we launch into the game itself um i'm playing on a relatively outdated pc so i've got a cpu that's an i7-4790k so um 2016 2018 yep. model and my graphics card is a 10 1070 ti uh gtx and that's also probably about four or five years old now yeah um i've got 16 gigs ram and plenty of hard disk on 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 the solid state uh the game looks like ass <laughs> <laughs> i was i was, see i was gonna jump in and be like now before the trolls can do this to you ken let me remind you that uh we're about to get comments that uh starfield's technically running on an engine that's probably closer to 20 years old at this point yeah <laughs> the game the game looks like it is below uh, my my pc specs are below the minimum specs of the game Yep. Uh, low times have been actually pretty good. So, so thank you, Solid State. Low times well, have been good. I was going to say, I think low times is something that PCs conquered ages ago and consoles have only just caught up this generation. Yeah. Yeah. So low times, good. Um, saving, you know, and, and you kind of do need to load quite often because you're quick. I'm, I'm quick saving all the time. Like, every <laughs> oh, time before. Save scammer over here. Uh, I'm I'm normally I normally am not a save scammer, but I'm kind of like, oh, I want to see what this conversation tree does, and I want to see like what this firefight does. Let's save, right? Um, the planets look relatively decent because there's not a lot of I guess objects in mm. in, in view. Um, indoors look relatively good. Um, New Atlantis, the big city that is in all the trailers, right? Oh, just looks like ass. It looks like 2018 Skyrim. It is just the ugliest, like, low texture. Everything is blur. Um, it's so bad. It, I feel like I'm playing Elder Scrolls Online on low quality. Um, <laughs> <laughs> New Atlantis is so bad. Um, I can tell it, you, it looks pretty good on my PC. <laughs> <laughs> um, but even then, even so, I've got it low enough, like, I'm still running probably um, a, a consistent 30 frames. Yeah. So it's still playable. And as long as I avoid New Atlantis, like, look, I've, I'm, I've, I've, I've come to terms with how bad the place looks. Um, <laughs> everything else is perfectly fine. Yeah. But stuff... Isn't, you- isn't it running at 30 frames on consoles anyway? Yeah. Like, that's my yep. understanding. Yeah. Yep. 
It's a yeah. it's a good thirty though. I've been switching between the two. Um, oh yeah, if if they're not making stupid errors with frame pacing and no. things like that, which it, is where a lot of those thirty frame just games fine, and that's just a stupid fanboy sort of thing. They know why they've done it. They've done it to the best of their ability. I've got to say, in my time with it, it's easily the most polished Bethesda game I've played at launch by quite a long way. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Which yeah. isn't necessarily saying much, but it's no, it isn't. It is a low bar, but they cleared that low bar <laughs> with ease. <laughs> we remember those dark PS3 days, Bethesda. I never did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you never and- will again, PlayStation fans. <laughs> um, being a PC game, I've obviously, excuse me, I've obviously loaded up with a bunch of mods to make it make the uh, gameplay experience more pleasurable. Hmm. Is that um, what the nude mods are called these days? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Everybody in the universe is absolutely stark naked on the surface of the moon. <laughs> and all, all the um, big monsters are Randy the Macho Man Savage. 100. <laughs> there's, there's, there's quite a few mods I've got installed, like make people, make NPCs walk faster and remove the white ring that's on my scanner. Um, the big white ring on the scanner mm. and uh, make the UI. Every Bethesda game needs a UI mod. Yeah. <laughs> they just can't. The UI is like, they just don't get it. I just don't know. It's always, they haven't changed their UI since Fallout 3. Yeah. And, and it's terrible. It's, it's not good. And, and every time mods come along and fix that shit for them. Yeah. Right. Maybe they try to fix it and they just keep breaking the game even further. So they're like, just leave it. <laughs> the mod guys will do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it, it, you, yes, you're not wrong. Mod the mod, the mods, the mod, mods, mod makers, makers will come and fix that shit. And I've got a bunch loaded on. Overall, I do like it. I do like a good old big space game, like generally. Uh, I like. And I've said this multiple times before. I like Bethesda games, particularly when they let me be alone. Like that is one thing I seek out from a Bethesda game. Like I like to be alone. That solitary exploration through. Yeah, yeah, and I far prefer Fallout Three over Fallout New Vegas, like by a wide margin. Um, Which is a controversial opinion, uh, I must say, amongst a lot of the Fallout fan it base. Is, it is, because, but New, New Vegas just keeps wanting you to talk to people and factions. <laughs> yeah, it's, that, it's, it's that CRPG uh, roots like, that are there. Yeah, it's, no, it's I obsidian. Just wanna, I just Real men solve this. their problem with words and text and dialogue yeah. options. <laughs> and I just want to walk down this highway like by myself with nothing like I, I've said this before I don't know if I, I've said this before like before I learned how to dismiss the dog in like Fallout 4 I tried to kill it <laughs> so I'm like stop following me Ken is maybe the only person who's like wow this post-apocalypse would be great if it wasn't for all the other people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to shoot ghouls in the face I don't want to talk to fools no, I just I just want to walk into a, I just want to walk into some type of like um Is that you have your fast walk mod on so they can get away from you quicker? Yeah. <laughs> um but other than that, it is a very Bethesda esque 
Bethesda game. Like, it's got... Everything is overwhelmingly familiar, yeah. which I don't know is... is it a it's good comfort thing? food. It's, it's comfort food. I mean, it's like, it's like all of those big series that have been running for donkey's years now. Like, they have a they have a blueprint, and they can't stray too far from the blueprint, because if you do, it's is it even that kind of thing anymore. Like, if yeah. people want a Bethesda RPG, and if they get too radical with it, then is it even still a Bethesda RPG? I mean, it's up to a point where, you know, they made a whole big deal around, like, the facial... Mm. like person you know you can modification you can make people look a, a bunch of different ways and that is true but everybody still has that bethesda look yeah <laughs> everybody's got the bethesda face like like the insmouth look you've got the bethesda look like yeah, whatever has happened to you at some point everybody's got dead eyes dead lifeless eyes and eyes that are somehow spaced weirdly on their face, no matter what you do. Like, there is just something about... And their teeth. The teeth is so weird. Right. <laughs> but, um... Ultimately, I've probably... I'm, I'm probably about 26 hours into the game. Yeah. Uh, 26 to, to about 30 hours into the game. Um, I play maybe one or two hours a night. Maybe three or four sometimes. Mm. Um... I do enjoy it, and and reading Jess's, Jessica Zamet, who's written a review for the Player Two website. Um, plug. <laughs> there is one particular sentence in her review that I that immediately speaks to me in terms of this is the fundamental, uh, this is the fundamental sort of lure of the game and the hypothesis that's the central argument. Um, within her review um, and she says there's always a benefit to being curious yep and that is what I look for in a Starfield game and so far it has been true um, there's all these weird stories and because it's space sometimes they lean into the whole dead spacey type of vibe where it's abandoned ships with dead bodies about and creepy monsters um a lot you know they've got that slightly horror vibe um that that um Bethesda games sometimes do have but I think it's particularly prominent here uh there's always some other thing to look at and within the 30 hours that I've played I'm probably Two missions in into the central timeline, into the central plot. <laughs> Everything else has been just sort of plonking around and doing other random bits and pieces and just listening to stories. Um, and that has been relatively enjoyable. I, I am not opposed to the interstellar travel that a lot of people have an issue with because... Yes. Like, I think of things you're going to bitch about, long, boring space journeys shouldn't be one of them. I was, I was thinking that just before we came on. I'm like, I, I enjoy, like, Elite Dangerous well enough, but I don't want to spend 20 minutes flying, like, in sub-light speed. That was literally the worst part of No Man's Sky. 
was oh, going from planet to planet. Oh, this is taking so long. Uh-huh. Like, just, isn't this the future? Don't we just have instantaneous transportation yeah. technology? Can't they just beam me over there? Like, Spock could do that shit years ago. Why can't we? Yeah. I think this is one of those dif- d- difficult things. But in, in open world games and also games like this where it's space travel, it's like... Weird I'm... nerds have weird rules about suspension of disbelief, okay? Yeah. Like, but it's, it's also... Dumbest shit that doesn't make any sense, but then they'll latch onto something like, well, shouldn't it take me time to travel to other planets? Like- oh, absolutely. But, like, there is, there is, I think, a mis... You, you cannot construe, like, the time it takes to travel with scale. Like, just because it takes a long time to get there yeah. doesn't necessarily make it big. No. Right. And this is kind of, like, my issue with, like, Cyberpunk I was saying earlier. Like, it's a big city, and it takes forever to drive from one bit to another bit. But that doesn't make the city feel alive. And I can't switch. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, it's only funny because I'm familiar with Ipswich. Yeah, so uh, I've got family in Ipswich. <laughs> well, you know. If you spend forever driving there, it doesn't make it feel alive. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. And and that's the problem with like games like Italy. There's a whole lot of nothing. And then traveling, spending 20 minutes traveling from nothing to nothing doesn't make the universe feel bigger. Like no. That's like time travel, time spent doing nothing doesn't make the world or universe feel bigger and i sure instantaneous fast travel might not be the answer to that but i would rather that than wasting what little time i've got yeah exactly in a spaceship and then like- they could do they could do like cool subversion shit with that as well like you know maybe sometimes randomly it glitches out and you just get dumped into some random ass location you gotta figure a way out of it or something like that yeah yeah, something like that. Or even just add a story mechanic. We've invented the mass relay. Mass Effect did it. It worked there. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, Nobody um, complained about Mass Effect. No, 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 no. Everyone loved those elevator rides. They were great. Yeah, well, that's what they complained about. Not the not the mass relay. <laughs> I do want to mention quickly before we finish on Starfield, I was pleasantly surprised with how good the space combat is. I thought there is no way Bethesda are going to get space combat right. But from what I've played so far, it's pretty solid. Like, it's good space combat. It's a good space shooter. It's a yeah. good, solid space shooter. Um, like, arcade style? Like, we're talking, like, Wing Commander? No, you've or... got to... You've got to uh, well, more yeah, to that, but ish. you've got to manage power levels. Kind of probably closer to Rogue Squadrons, the recently released mm, okay. uh, Star Wars one. Um, or even even Everspace. Even Everspace, Everspace yeah. Everspace 2. It's, it's, it's kind of like that. It's actually yeah. pretty decent. It surprised me. I'd never thought they would get that right, but it, it's actually really quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's probably better than like if you're comparing the ship. Com- the ship combat's probably better than the foot on foot combat, like <laughs> the in person combat. Just, like I prefer the ship combat. Yeah, it's it's very good. But um, well, on that note, we might take a break. Um, talking about empty cities and empty universes, and when we come back, we'll talk about much more interesting places to be in.
and we're back. This episode's main topic, we're going to be talking about holidays. I was really inspired, and really it's an excuse for me to just listen to Huzo talk about his massive trip to the other side of the world. Um, it just made me think about all the places I could potentially be that is not home. <laughs> and that traveling for leisure is a massive, massive privilege. Mm. But one that promotes personal growth, you see the world, you get to see how big it is. And even then, even then, with, with the wonders that is tourism and traveling on holidays, we cannot escape games. So in this topic, we're going to be talking about the games that you might bring with you um, um, on a holiday. Games that make you that when you play make you feel like you're on a holiday, and also games that might inspire your holidays. Um, and so, really, that's pretty much it. So, Huzo, mm. where were you? I was in Italy. I spent uh, three weeks uh, exploring uh, the Italian countryside. I guess um, visiting all the major centers. Pretty much except for Milan. Um, so Rome, Venice, Florence, Napoli, and Sorrento. Um, so we got to see a good good chunk of Italy and um, <clears throat> explore what, what the country has in, to offer. Climb the buildings in Florence, up the Duomo, and yes, jump into hay bales. Yeah, well, look, I, I did actually look for places from Assassin's Creed in Florence. Um, and, and they do, it was very cool because we did a walking tour and they do a lot of that in Italy. There's lots of like uni students that do these walking tours uh, and all they cost is like a tip at the end of the tour. Um, so you do this tour, you book online, um, they take 20 people or so and walk around the city and point out all this interesting stuff. And it was, it's really a good way to see the city. And, uh, they talk about a very familiar name for people that have played Assassin's Creed in the Medici's. Um, so the Medici's, uh, Altair, not Altair, Ezio's family, uncle in, uh, in the Assassin's Creed games. So they were a very powerful family in Florence. Um, they like a real not, family, like a real, a real family, family that ran Florence. They've had like three popes from that family. Like the whole of Florence is built around the Medici's. So it was very, very cool. Like, you know, little things like that, that you, you kind of stumble across and, and see when you're over there. Um, you know, much the same in other places that I visited before, like um, sleeping dogs in Hong Kong. Like that's one I always think of. I've been to Hong Kong. And while it's not a facsimile of Hong Kong, it really evokes the feel of a lot of places I visited in Hong Kong. Like it felt familiar to what sleeping dogs showed me, you know? So I, th I thought it was authentic in its portrayal of, of what I saw there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up sleeping dog, sleeping dog. Cause that was actually going to be my, um, my, one of the games that I talked about. Cause I've spent quite a lot of time in, in, in Hong Kong. Um, my parents are from there. Um, I used to go there for, annually to visit my grandparents and there are bits that really look about as close as you can get to the real city yeah and in in the game there is an area there's a region in the game called north point and that is the bit of town that my grandparents lived in um and like it's not exactly the same 
but the light, the feel, the vibe is very close. Mm. They've captured the sensibilities um, very, very strongly. I guess, uh, I mean, it's a video game, so you can never have a perfect, rep- you know, perfect replication of what the city is. And so my only comment or commentary or criticism of Sleeping Dogs is that the streets are probably a touch too clean. <laughs> too empty as well. <laughs> yeah, there is, uh, I, I don't know, it's not that Hong Kong is dirty, it's that in real world, there's always a level of grime and yeah. real world, like it's not a real world, it's not a filter, but there is a level of um, a, 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 a grime and lived in, like any, lived in nature, any yeah. older, larger, bigger city just has that very lived in feel. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of like, but like the vibe there was was very, very similar. And I think that's might have been what inspired you, Steven, because you did a piece like literally on this very thing um, on the Player 2 website from years ago when you went to Japan and, and walking about Kabukicho. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I've, I've gone to Japan many, many times, and I'm going back again next year, because uh, you've all uh, tried to travel around Australia, but you, it's not much bang for buck, I'll tell you. So uh, it, most of us tend to look abroad. Sorry, Australian tourism industry, it's just the way it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, one of the things that I found interesting um, was that I had gone to parts... Um, Similar, so I went to Dotonbori, which is in Osaka, um, which uh, in one of the Yakuza games is uh, Sotenbori, I think. They have like these little sort of Aldi knockoff names for the real world locations in uh, the Yakuza games. And it was kind of surreal being there and, you know, walking across some of the bridges and seeing just the layout and thinking it was, you know, pretty, pretty accurate. So then I thought, well, what if I go to the place that uh, Kamurocho is based on, which is... Uh, a red light district called Kabukicho, um, which is uh, in or near Shinjuku uh, as well. Um, if you go there, there's a giant Godzilla hotel now where uh, I think it's the Millennium Building in the Yakuza games yep. uh, sort of exists. But walking around those streets, it is. It's uh, Some of the real world locations are there. So the karaoke bars, um, Don Quixote, uh, some of the other uh, shops that I guess, sort of let themselves be licensed for the game. And there's other little spots where they've just sort of changed it a bit or maybe they didn't get a license. So, uh, you know, the the um, convenience stores are not Lawson licensed in Yakuza, but uh, a lot of the convenience stores are there. Some of the restaurants as well, you can go to some of those restaurants. They do exist. Uh, and it was very surreal being in a location that I knew my way around not having been there before because it was I'd run around that place so much as Kiryu mm. that uh, I kind of knew where stuff was. Um, the hotel we stayed in was actually a little bit further north than the map lets you go. So if you went up to the like the very northernmost part, which is where I think all the love hotels are in that map, in the, which in is the where park. all the love yeah, which is yeah. where all the love hotels are in the game as well. Um, and if you went a bit further north than that, that's where our hotel was. So sort of walking down and knowing, well, here's the main drag and there's the square and there's the Sega uh, building and there's the Godzilla Hotel that would be, you know, the Millennium uh, building and all these other things, which is a very, very cool experience. And I know they've uh, done some other locations as well that would be really fun to get to and sort of check out as well if I ever, you know, get my way over to Okinawa 
Or, or Hi- Hiroshima is apparently pretty dead on too. Yeah, um, I've only I, I haven't explored Hiroshima as much. I've been there twice, but sort of for very brief periods of time. So it would be cool to go there and see in a bit more detail if it yeah sort of matches up. Even like the like what was the last one I did the um the period Yakuza. Oh, so yeah. it had some places in Kyoto uh, that some of those temples are still there, and I have been to those temples, and some of it obviously looks. Still very similar because, yeah. uh, you know, despite a very contentious history, even amongst themselves, the Japanese managed to keep a lot of their uh, buildings and whatnot uh, in pretty good condition. Uh, so some of those places look very familiar. And obviously a couple of hundred years also meant that some of them looked very, very different from what I was used to. It, it would have been funny if you were in real life walking up to your hotel in, in that area and you're like this is where the the world boundary would have been (laughs) yeah i take one more step further i've gone further than kiyu ever has in this location (laughs) did you happen to stumble across a giant underground gambling den and an informant underneath the park uh i wasn't allowed to climb down the sewers no (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah that that wasn't um the the parks are there though like we were walking through and i'm like oh it's those sad little parks (laughs) with the homeless people yeah we're always hung out by drunks and surly hobos that want to fight me and uh, someone that needs toilet paper in the toilet you know side mission (laughs) (laughs) it's it's often it's often a good idea. I mean, they're, they're talking about actual holidays. It's and and using like real games to inspire travel or like find some connection to a place. I I often use games as as a reason to go to bits of a country or a town or a region that I normally wouldn't go to. Yeah. Like, like um, if I was looking for something specific, like this, and I'm not talking about like the game itself but oh there's a really cool game shop that everybody talks about like if you go to japan you would go to super potato right and uh, oh yeah which i've been to <laughs> yeah and you look for that super potato but you might along the way then stumble upon things like oh i i never would have gone i would i would never have gone down this particular alleyway or road or come to this area had it not been for that shop um and I sometimes use that as like, okay, let's go to the game shop because I want to go to the game shop. But then I also use it as an excuse, like, well, this is kind of like off the tourist beat, uh, you know, the you know, tourist path, and it's off a little bit off kilter, and it's actually much more local because this is the where the sh- the local nerds go to, right? <laughs> and you actually find some some fascinating fascinating things when you when you when you use that as uh, um, uh, sort of a starting point for your holiday, for your trip. So like, I sometimes specifically look out, look out for board game shops when I'm mm. in a particular country or a particular place. I'm like, okay, I want to go look for this shop. And then whilst I'm there, I'm going to go eat there. Um, I do much for, the same uh, with record stores. I, I love yeah. a record store. So I'll, I'll and then no one that runs a record store can afford to put it on like a tourist path because the rent's too much for someone running a record store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you find What's like, record store in Italian? Uh, well, <laughs> believe it or not, there was a record store at the Duomo in Florence, right across from it, that happened to be a pub as well. So it was like my favorite store ever. Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like the holy trinity of yeah. locations. <laughs> all it, it needed all, was like some an old arcade machine in there and it, yeah, 
I would have been there forever. <laughs> yeah, so you, can, you, can, you can go there, you can get drunk, splash cash, and then repent after yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Go and, <laughs> go and pray to God for some more money so you can buy more records. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's kind of a like a psychological thing in that, you know, depending on the sort of person you are, when you go traveling, you don't just want to go out to random locations. Mm. Like, it's, I think it's hard to justify, like, oh, I'll just walk and see what we find, especially, and as we've said, traveling abroad is a privilege and you kind of, I think there's an underlying degree. I guess it depends on the kind of holidays you check. If you're buggering off to Fiji to lay on the beach, that's a different kind of holiday to going to Japan or Italy or anywhere in Europe and exploring. And I think there is that sort of underlying drive to get your money's worth, especially because we live uh, the you know asshole of the world so far away from everything else that by the time we get somewhere, it's like, no, I got to get every experience that I can out of this trip because it mm. took me 36 hours of travel time to get here. Yep. Absolutely, and that's what we felt with with Italy for sure. Because um, yeah, it was literally thirty six hours of travel uh, to get there. Not all on the plane, but you know, between air stop, airport stops in Doha and things like that. Um, so, I mean, Amy and I did close to three hundred kilometers in the three weeks walking, um, and most. Uh, and that's the last four days. We didn't do much because we were in Sereno, and that was our. You know, we're going to sit by the beach and have wine yeah. part of the holiday. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the rest of it, we, we did so much walking, but it was awesome because we discovered all this stuff on the way, including some like stuff. And the thing about Rome is especially you just walk and you can't see anything because these old buildings are everywhere. They're tiny little alleyways. So there's buildings all around you and you'll just come into this square and go, holy shit, that's the Pantheon. Just out of nowhere. It's just yeah. there, you know. Or, holy shit, there's Trevi Fountain. Like, you know, all these things are just hidden amongst the buildings and you can't see them until you just, like, trip over them, really, which is very cool. And it's it's yeah. stuff you've seen in games and movies. Yeah. It's like you, you go to, like, you in Spider-Man, you can go to the place I got married because I got married in Central Park. So you can yeah. swing into the uh, Bethesda area in uh, Central Park, the little under chapel where I got married, and just go and chill there next to the big fountain. Yep. You can drive up to the Griffith Observatory in uh, GTA San Andreas. You can cruise around Liberty City, which is just a facsimile of New York and the yep. five boroughs. And you have like a sense of familiarity about these locations, although probably don't drive around them like you would in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like there is a game I, I've always felt like recreated or at least gave a sense of space better than most others and you know all of these open world games you know gta sleeping dogs assassin's creed but i've always felt like the hit the recent hitman games mm. in mm. particular had always recreated the worlds in a way that feels more authentic realistic i'm not sure what the word is i mean part of it is that one you're not tearing through the streets right you're not no, just it's just one area to, it's just one area and also you actually have to go slow mm. you have to take your time you have to observe you have to pay attention to your environment whereas you know sleeping dogs i'm just like on a motorbike just zipping down the highway <laughs> trying to get from one bit to the other bit as fast as possible um no but it's it hit man you have to take your time you have to be slow and you have to observe and pay attention to people's movements and routines and in so doing you're actually standing there i guess 
soaking in the environment far more than you would be doing in in some of these other open world games. And I've always appreciated Hitman for for that. Um, I, think, I haven't played. I think Hitman. It's one of those games that um, it's not always the right game for you at the, that time. There's sometimes I've sat down and played Hitman, and I've just lost hours playing it but there's sometimes I jump in Hitman and go I really can't do that right now and it annoys mm. me more than anything so it, it's one of those mood games I think yeah. uh, that yeah. really you have to be in the mood for it but if you are in the mood for it then it hits like nothing else yeah I think some other series that are, or games that have done open worlds pretty well like as much as there isn't necessarily much to do in them uh, the Mafia games and LA Noir, I think mm did solid jobs of the open world or at least were very you know realistic facsimiles of an open world yeah well uh, Mafia 3 was a very from what I can gather was very accurate on New Orleans even that was called New New Bordeaux but it essentially had everything that New Orleans in the 60s had so yeah did you take anything with you yes wise I took um, either one of you my ROG ally and um, I took my new laptop which is a 13 inch like laptop surface you know tablet hybrid sort of thing but it's got a, a 4060 in it so it um, runs most games <laughs> I convinced work to buy it yeah. oh my god it's, it's ridiculous it really is <laughs> um, I, I used to try to take things a lot Um and then I got to the point where I realized I never really picked them up when mm. I'm on holidays. Like, even if I've got downtime, I'm usually so exhausted from going out and doing stuff all day that I'm quite happy just to chill. Or if there are, you know, if I do have a few hours at night, I'll quite often just head out and walk around the city or, you know, go and check some things out. Like, especially somewhere like Japan, which I mm. go to pretty regularly, it's so easy just to jump on the subway and get halfway across the city and go and, like you said, check a store out or check something else out. And their operating hours are generally much later than, you know, what we're used to here in Australia. So it's not really weird to go out at 11 o'clock at night to go to a retail store sometimes. Yeah. I mean, predominantly I brought the game stuff for the the actual travel points, you know, so when I'm sitting on the plane... Uh, when I'm sitting on the trains going across, uh, and that's pretty much the only time I did play games uh, when I was I'm, over there. I'm, I'm stuck right in the middle of traveling with children, mm. um, small children. So the, the travel part is nowhere near as relaxing as it used to be. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I long for the boredom of a 14-hour mm. flight ahead of me with nothing to See, occupy me but a game system. It's funny though because I thought going over, I thought I'd save. Baldur's Gate 3 for my trip so it works perfectly well on the on the, the alloy um, and I thought that'd be great because you know I've got a massive plane trip this is a massive RPG it was too much uh, I, I couldn't I can't yeah I can't relax on planes I can't sleep on planes and I I don't know do you feel like I don't know what I don't know how I describe it itchy feet I don't know what yeah what I, I use, just but I, I, I there's a certain level of anxiety in me when I want a plane that I can't just kick back and, you know, I mean, unless I'm paying 30 grand for business class flights, yeah. or something, let's be honest. Um, yeah. I can't kick back and just 
dive into a game, I just find it really difficult. To no, play. so I, I, it was just too complicated. Like Baldur's Gate was too complicated to play on the go um, mm. for me, anyway. So I ended up switching back to like things like um, uh, I played Fallout Four a lot on the train because it's kind of you know comfort food sort of game. Or I played yeah. um, uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is turn based, so it's you can play these little chunks. Here and there, I'm, I'm still so depressed that didn't come out on the Switch, and I understand why. But yeah. God, that game handheld would be so, and, and it's so good on the go because you've got these little chunk missions that you could play. So that sort of thing that I was already very comfortable with, already know inside out. That was the sort of thing I tended to go for while I was traveling because the the brain power required for something like Baldur's Gate Three, I'd checked out. You know, I was in a plane. I may or may not have had enough sleep to concentrate, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, could have the had a couple drinks of- Three drinks of flowing. Yeah, you know, a couple of G&Ts on the way over to just help with the relaxation. And, you know, it, it just it just was too much for traveling. So I ended up not playing it. And now, unfortunately, it's going to sit in my unplayed queue while we review every game under the sun that comes out in the next three months. <laughs> I just want to spend a little bit of time just, just obsessing about how it's possible that you can have PC level power in literally the palm of your hand now. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. Eh? Ridiculous. I, to me, it all just comes down to battery technology. I think that's always been the biggest thing that hamstrung it is you could make those things and it's, it was heat dissipation and it was uh, battery technology. Like we can build it, but the battery's going to die in three minutes. Well, yeah, or, yeah, we can yeah. make it, but it's going to burn a hole in your lap. So, I mean, it's it's battery, it's heat dissipation, it's also miniaturization of chips and mm, chip, yeah. chip boards, because I am old enough to remember the Sega Game Gear. What about the Atari Lynx, baby? Oh, God. Oh, you couldn't the, leave the house with that thing on batteries? Yeah. The game, you needed a well, new pack by the time you got to where you were going. The Lynx, the... the I don't know how many batteries the Lynx used, but the game game was uh, six it was like double It was like six or eight. It was a lot. Like six thing, double yeah. A's. Yeah. And if you wanted yeah. to get the extension battery pack, that's another fucking thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. What, no, there was all, you just needed the extension cord because you couldn't go anywhere without having that thing plugged <laughs> in. And it's like, yo, great, I get to play columns. Yeah. Hey, California <laughs> games, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It is very wild, and I mean, even still, that you know, it's three hours at best. If you're playing anything of like a triple A standard, you're only going to get three hours. But the good thing is, I've got a couple of high quality battery packs because we go camping a bit, and I, you know, because you can get like six or seven mobile charges out of one of these packs, or you can get two charges of my uh, Ally out of it. So you know that that helps extend it, and that's only a little thing to throw in your backpack as well. So. Yeah, it helps. Mm. And, and again, like, you look at something like the Switch, right? And they got extra battery power out of that thing, not by doing anything to the battery, but literally changing that easily exploitable chipset to a more efficient chipset. Yeah. Like, that's the main difference between the old Switch and the newer Switch model is just the chipset, and that extended the battery life yeah. for them. And there are lots of things you can do on the PC versions to tweak it and get more battery out of it. And it, it comes down to, you know, what you're willing to sacrifice... Um, dropping everything, setting everything to to thirty frames is a good way to do it. You know, dropping the resolution to twelve eighty instead of uh, nineteen twenty. Yeah. You know, those sort of things they Which make a all- difference. But it's it's up to you what you want to sacrifice. Do you want to drop that graphics and maybe gain half an hour, or do you want to 
Just, Which are concessions they've had to make on every handheld. Yeah, exactly. Like even the so, Switch as well, like yeah. 720 handheld, 1080 docked. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But it's just like the promise. It just feels to me like that promise has genuinely finally kind yeah. of arrived. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's talked about oh consoles. The PSP was built on this was was built on this whole like have the PlayStation console experience in your hand while you're on the go. What's now, they didn't, they didn't necessarily specify which PlayStation experience, and that thing is a damn fine PlayStation 1 emulator, I'll tell you. And it approximates some PlayStation 2 graphics. It's more it, like it, a PS1. Wow, that is such I, a I've, It's the best machine I've ever played a Super Nintendo game on, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I love like the, play, like, the PlayStation Portable, the, the PSP Go, those things are incredible for what they are and i will not have oh. you besmirch their- <laughs> no 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 i know but you, you get me like this yeah. promise this promise that it was always them. a step behind it was always like oh yeah cool so the game boy is like barely like a ness it's like yeah. an atari level kind of thing it, you know, it's like the uh, and then we get to the game boy advance which is like oh cool it's like super NES games yeah. i guess yeah, super- yeah. And then we get to the DS and we're like, so it's like Nintendo 64 games almost. almost. And now we're at the level where it's like, yeah, okay. So it's a handheld, but it feels like it's current gen. Mm. Whereas before it's always been sort of, you know, like the Switch itself is doing 360 ports. Like it's, yeah. it's current gen only by virtue of Nintendo being able to optimize the shit out of everything they put on there to make it feel like it's current gen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, every third-party dev is just chucking their 360-era games on there. It's like that promise has has legitimately arrived, which is which is pretty exciting. Um, be the perfect time for a PlayStation Portable follow-up. Thank you, Sony. Oh I no, do. wait, you're just doing that dodgy piece of trash. <laughs> Although Sony PR, if you're listening, I'd still take one for free. For free, yep. <laughs> As we wind up our discussion here, um. And coming back to holidays, what's next? What's on the horizon? Um, you've just come back from a holiday, Huzo, so I don't reckon you'll be going off again soon unless you are. Uh, Stephen? Not, not, probably next year we'll be, we've got a friend's 50th and we made him the promise that we're going to go to, he's a mad scotch drinker, so we're going to go and do Scotland. And then I agreed the to- Islas. I, d- I agreed to do Scotland if he came to me with to Spain, so that that's the next plan. Very nice. Very, Very nice. Stephen? Um, I've always got plans. Uh, I mean, in less exciting news, I'll be in Melbourne next week. Uh, obviously, <laughs> just right. back. Um, Melbourne's a great place. Uh, and uh, was heading to Japan in December, but uh, made some financially responsible decisions to cancel that trip because... I'm instead going for three weeks next April during cherry blossom season and taking the in-laws over there for their first and potentially last trip um, over there. We'll see. Um, they're gearing up for retirement and want to do a bit of traveling as they go into that. Um, and I mean, there are lots of places I'd love to go, but I'm just at that stage with small children where mm. I, I don't want to be dragging a yeah. four-year-old around Europe and America yeah. is a hellscape at the moment with yeah, a bad yes. exchange rate and uh, just a lot of questionable everything. things. Yeah, oh, so, yeah. Um, as much as I would have loved to go over there for my 10th wedding anniversary this year, uh, we're 
thinking maybe 15th, maybe 20th, maybe 21st. If it's uh, anything, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. if anything of America's um, left still then. <laughs> hey, look, Disney in Japan is really good. So, yeah. uh, yes. It's Universal, good in Hong Kong too. A, yeah, not quite. A, oh, it was amazing when I went to Hong Kong because it was when they were having all the political unrest. No one was at Disney. So <laughs> looped on rides, baby. <laughs> round and round and round. Universal in Singapore is fantastic. Yeah, uh, we have been there. I've, I've been to, I think I've been to every Universal Park now. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them quite match up to Florida, but it's kind of like Disney World in Florida is being absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Hollywood's the only one that has the backlot tour, which I'm a huge nerd for. Um, I'd love to go to South America. I want to get to Europe. There's lots of other places I want to go, but it's time and money and waiting yeah, for my that. children to not be so small. So it's uh, just more manageable, which I imagine for Ken um, is that kind of where you're at at the moment, traveling yeah, with little ones is... Kind of. Like the last several, the last couple of trips we've made, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, shutting down the world for the last three years, mm. Um the last trip I made was to go home to Singapore, hmm. which is never really a holiday. No, um, it's, it's family, it's catching up, and it's, it's you know, you, you don't really get to switch off. And then if no. you don't do those things, you feel like a total heel. Yeah, and you know, the worst thing, no, not the worst thing, but the thing about Singapore being where it's where it's at is you can't really get to anywhere without passing through Singapore. No. So, it's, kind of, <laughs> so it's like, oh, hey, Lost. when... We're not coming home other than... Well, you, you work now yeah, with Qatar and uh, Emirates, you go through the UAE to yes, get to Europe. Yes, that yeah. is true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. So maybe we might need to do other types of planes yeah. next time. But um, we are thinking, I guess, like ultimately, maybe sometime next year, about the April, April May period, maybe popping off to Taiwan. Taiwan Ooh, is... Yeah. Taiwan's an amazing place. It's an amazing place that is for my tastes, like uh, the perfect mixture of, because of its colonial history, um, a perfect mixture of Japanese, Chinese, local culture mixed with being a really modern city. And it's just, and then like I have- Amalgamation. No, yeah, it's just a really like, yeah, amalgamate, a perfect sort of mixing pot of all the things I like. So you've got, like no language barrier but it's got heaps of nerd stuff like the last time i was there which was <laughs> seven eight years ago was like all the nerd shops is chockets full of toys and games and i do hear it's a bit of a mecca for that sort of stuff oh my goodness it's 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 ridiculous it's ridiculous like all the gundam kits all the gundam kits <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, it's it's kind of like you said. I've I've found that um, Japan is such a child friendly place to travel. It is. We did the same when our kids were little. We because we got married in Fiji, so we essentially went back to Fiji a bunch because it's easy with kids, and yeah. it's really hard to be upset with sitting on a beach and having a cocktail. <laughs> well, on that note of sitting on a beach and having a cocktail, we've come to the end of this this episode. Thank you very much, Huzo, Stephen, for joining us on on episode number one one eight of the Pixel uh, Player Two Pixel Cast. Uh, where can people find y'all on the internet, your socials, and also uh, what's happening with the site at the moment? There seems to be a lot of activity. 
Yeah, well, you can find me at uh, Huso81 on X, not that I've posted on there in a very long time, um, but on Threads and Blue Sky, it's Huso. Um, Player 2 itself has been uh, pretty busy. Uh, Paul, Stephen and Jess really ran with it while I was away, which was very lovely of them. Um, but we're, we're coming into PAX season, so we've got all this PAX coverage. Renee, who's, who's a newcomer to Player 2, she hasn't been around for too long, but she's really come out of the gate swinging she's doing like 20 odd video short previews of all the games uh, all the indie games from PAX which is awesome um, Stephen's doing his uh, interviews for PAX that he does every year which are always great and I'll let him tell you more about it and then we've got a whole bunch because it's you know game silly season so reviews are coming thick and fast um, I'm reviewing a certain Broom Broom game at the moment um that I can't talk about just yet, but we'll, we'll talk about that soon. And, uh, you know, there's also the big ones all coming up that, that uh, we'll, we'll um, have up there as soon as we're legally allowed to. Yeah, uh, so obviously, um, Gorath44000 on the social media site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, I'm not on anything else because I'm an old man like that. Uh, uh yeah, my indie showcase stuff, uh, as is tradition, is uh, all going to be rolling out. So we've got a different dev for every day of the week up until uh, the Thursday just before PAX. So uh, we had Copycat run today, and I think tomorrow we've got Alien Frenzy. So kind of alternating between digital games and tabletop uh, day in and day out as we go forward until we get that done. Uh, also got an interview with Phil Walker-Harding, who is a... Very well-known Australian tabletop uh, designer who is going to be uh, at PAX um, demoing one of his new titles, I believe. Uh, And uh, again, uh, I tend not to jump into too much of the uh, review code fights these days. Uh, It's fun to sit on the sidelines and watch Jess and Paul scrap it out over those. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Also, I don't have a new Switch, so Nintendo won't talk to me. Um, But... Yeah, uh, it, it's it's going to be a hectic couple of months like it always is. It used to be quiet around December and it feels like there's so many games coming out that we just don't get a break. There's no dead season. There's just a slightly quieter season. So, yeah, um, we'll see how All that right. goes. And I am at Pixel Hunt on Twitter. I do have at Pixel Hunt on um, Blue Sky, though I haven't used it yet. Uh, I don't have anything for the site at the moment beyond the podcast um it's i need to do stuff but it's just i'd rather play video games (laughs) 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 i will not be at pax this year um so um i won't be seeing any of you this time but we'll have you in our hearts ken yeah well you know, if, if you stuck around post packs for a little bit longer, and that, you know, we could always do something, but that's entirely your fault, Stephen, not mine. It, it, I really, uh, <laughs> uh, I probably need to. Um, I can only tell work I'm sick for so long. So.